My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He replied, What do you wish me to do for you? They answered him, Grant that in your glory we may sit at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We can. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant at James and John. Jesus summoned them and said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones make their authority over them felt. But it shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Listening to this Gospel, what do you think was Jesus' state of mind? Like, what was he feeling? We know that there are times in the Gospels when Jesus was angry and frustrated. Like the time that Jesus comes into the temple And he sees it's being overrun with with money changers and ends up turning over the tables and and scattering the people. He was definitely running hot that day. And there are other times that he's very clear what he's feeling and what he's experiencing. But other times you don't really know. Like in this gospel we just heard from St. Mark, he doesn't give us a lot of extra details. He just tells us the story about the two sons, James and John, who make the ultimate of power plays. They asked to sit at Jesus' right and his left hand when Jesus is entering into glory. And we hear Jesus' gentle correction that he offers and then the, the lengthier discussion to the other ten who were now very aggravated that these two beat them to the punch and were trying to get the two top seats. I wonder if James and John had kind of worked it out who was going to be on the right and who was going to be on the left. But at any rate, all 12 of them are angry. That's pretty clear. But we don't really know what Jesus is going through right now at that moment. And just to add a a little context, this whole scene happens after Jesus has told the 12 for the third time now that he's heading to Jerusalem and that his passion and his death await him there. And this was their response. Jesus, sorry to hear about all that stuff. Can we fast forward, though? And when you come back... Can we be your right and left hand men? I wonder if Jesus was a little angry or frustrated. Maybe he was disappointed. 
Or maybe he just felt alone, as if they weren't really listening or paying attention to him at all. Here, he had spent years with these guys. These were his, his closest of confidants, the men he had picked that were going to bring the, one, the, the ones that were going to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he's trying to prepare them for what's going to be the most painful, most physical suffering he's ever endured, which he's going to lovingly offer as an act of salvation, canceling out the punishment our sins deserve, but also as an example for how others who come in his name are to act by being selfless, by being self-giving. And these 12 are, are thinking about power and glory and positions of honor. Jesus must have felt some deep sense of loneliness by it all. It kind of reminded me of a story that this pastor in Illinois shared this past week. He had founded and leads what are called mega churches in the Chicago area. And a few weeks ago, he decided to pose as a homeless person, literally laying outside the doors of one of the locations of their churches. So there he was wearing clothes, uh, a hoodie, growing this, this mangy, gray-looking beard. He had this shopping cart that was filled with what would appear to be his life belongings. Well, on a recent Sunday, he walked into the church's sanctuary in his undercover guise. He was pushing that shopping cart in front of him and slowly removed all the layers and beard in front of the congregation to reveal his true identity as he broke down in tears, saying he couldn't believe how he was treated by some of the people in his church. And then he showed a video, and it showed people that might walk in the other direction or pretend not to see him as they were reaching for the door or practically stepping over him with their Bibles in hand as they entered the church themselves. Seeing that, you get the sense that Jesus still experiences deep loneliness. It's interesting because loneliness, that's something that so many people are suffering from and are experiencing in our world. There's been a whole bunch of stories recently naming loneliness as the next biggest health crisis in the United States. Here we are living at a time where Americans are richer, more informed, and more connected than ever before in our entire history. And people are reporting feeling unhappier and more isolated and less fulfilled than ever. Jesus consistently tells us, not just in this passage, but throughout the entire Gospels, all four of them, that there's one sure way not only to address his loneliness, but ours as well. And that's to embrace the cross, to follow his example of selfless, sacrificial love. When we stop looking for shortcuts for quick fame or more likes or retweets and serve one another, especially those who are in most need, we respond to Jesus' loneliness and the suffering of those around us and miraculously can heal our own as well. Thinking back to that experiment that that pastor attempted, 
we know and probably share some of the, the same excuses that so many others probably told themselves that day when they encountered this man in front of their church. They were scared. Or I donate to organizations or even this church itself that should take care of a situation like this. Or I don't know, maybe this guy wants to be left alone. I don't want to bother him. Or maybe this could be dangerous. But the image of them going into church, practically stepping over the guy, was breathtaking. And not in a a self-righteous type of way where we think we would all do a lot better. It's true, the Catholic Church and countless saints throughout our history have poured out our lives to serve the poor. But this isn't about them. It's about each one of us. And not in a hypothetical situation like what would you do if you were in this situation. But rather, as as Jesus is speaking these words to us about his suffering, his passion, and his death. And how he connects that to this call to service. That we are great when we serve those who are suffering too. What does that do to our hearts? Because it's not a matter of just getting captured on a video doing the right thing. But rather, do we have or do we desire to have Jesus' servant's heart? St. Teresa of Avila is said to have offered this prayer. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. When you and I take to heart those words and and truly act like we believe them, then the loneliness of the world, the loneliness of Christ, and even the loneliness that we can feel in our own heart, is truly conquered by examples of true greatness.